It's time for Cofield and Company with John Von Tobel and Adam Candy on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, Steve Cofield took the day off, so I get to hang out at Victory's Bar and Grill. That's the spot we're out on the road today. Happy hour starting in an hour, actually 57 minutes from now. For those of you who are on your way down, remember, dollar hot dogs, $2 domestic beers, $3 imported beer, and $4 wine and cocktails for all the fancy people out there. No judge, of course, no judge. As long as you come down, hang out with Ari for a while, and watch game one of the Vegas and Montreal series. Of course, that puck drops. I was going to say tips off, but wrong sport. Are you down with that? Are you down with using, like, different starting analogies, kicks off, tips off? First pitches off. Do we get the message sports? across? Do we understand what so. we're trying to say? Yes. That's fine. I, it doesn't have to be puck drop. It doesn't have to be face off. Like That's fine. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purposely do it then. Uh, it tips off tonight mm. between Montreal I bought it. and Vegas. Let's do it. It's time for the three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. So, Adam... As we look at this overall, you know, there, there's not a lot of football news at this point right now. It's 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 peaking out here and there every once in a while. Uh, we did get a little bit today, and uh, this is a pretty big name because this is a pretty good player coming off of a relatively serious injury. But uh, I expect uh, Stephon Gilmore to make a a recovery to 100. percent But Stephon Gilmore did not report to the start of minicamp. Former Defensive Player of the Year not expected to atten- attend at any point, according to multiple reports. Mike Garofolo was at the center of this report as well, of course, over at uh, NFL Network. Now, we get this all the time. You know, these guys, if you want a new contract, whatever it is, this is always the time in which you sit back and miss time. Gilmore set to earn just $7 million this year in base salary. He's in the final season of a five-year, $65 million contract. And, and by the way, that might surprise you, right? $7 million in base salary in the final year of a $65 million contract. But as reported, the number low because the Patriots previously moved a large portion of his 2021 salary to 2020 to give him more guaranteed money after he won Defensive Player of the Year. So as we look at this right now, there are some teams rumored to be in the running here. The Seattle Seahawks seem to be the more serious contender uh, that's been reported by a couple. Just uh, keep your eye on a situation like this if you're out in Seattle. There's also Jalen Ramsey openly <laughs> openly recruiting him, which is kind of weird just because I don't even know if that's allowed. Like, he's pretty he's pretty straightforward with this. But what do you make of this in terms of Gilmore? I mean, it's, it's funny because it's a Patriots. We usually don't hear noise like this around the New England Patriots. No, we really don't. And I think what's interesting is that the narrative we have been sold around the New England Patriots as, I'm going to say, playoff contenders this year, not maybe Super Bowl contenders, is the idea that they get the whole defense back together. Yep. Right? They get all the opt-out guys back, you get Chung back, you put the whole thing back in place. Well, a lot of that depends on Stephon Gilmore, who obviously is, as you said, coming off injury and coming off an underperforming season overall after being dominant for three years in New England. So, uh, John, I guess the question is, if you're looking at trading for Stephon Gilmore, who clearly wants another contract, he's going to be 31 by the time the season starts next year. How much are you willing to pay for Stephon Gilmore, not only in the trade assets that yep. you might have to give up, but then what kind of contract are you going to give the guy? Because clearly he's not going anywhere without a deal. Right, and you know, remember Jason Lockett Ford did a report. It was part of a report, uh, was it a month or so ago, uh, maybe a little bit less, that uh, it was all but a foregone conclusion 
that he would be finding a new home at some point in the offseason. So I'm with you. Like, it's pretty fascinating because I love Stephon Gilmore and what he brings to the table from a defensive standpoint. But in terms of where he's at with his career, the injuries coming off of what you'd have to give up in terms of acquiring him, it is a pretty fascinating dynamic, right, in terms of where he would end up and how he would get there. Now, the top three candidates in terms of acquiring him, I mentioned the Seahawks. That was just a, hey, keep your eye on this type of situation. Uh, Jalen Ramsey has just been tagging him in certain things uh, and, and, and just trying to get his attention, which obviously, like, you can recruit Stephon Gilmore all you want. He has no power in terms of actually making the deal happen. Uh, but the three most likely destinations, as have been pointed out by a few, the Dallas Cowboys, in no particular order, the Carolina Panthers, and the Cleveland Browns, all three of which, uh, if you remember two, during the draft were in contention to potentially add a defensive back right to their team and to their roster. All three places would make a lot of sense in my mind. Oh, my God. I, imagine putting him into Cleveland. Oh, yes. Denzel Ward with Troy Hill in the slot and John Johnson at safety. I mean, they would have quite the unit there. And, Dallas and Adam, is in desperate need. And think about that turnaround, too, because that was not a great secondary last no. year. Like, Denzel Ward was great, but outside of that, right, it was Miles Garrett on his own generating pressure and, and tearing up passing offenses, that to flip that the way that it would, it would be a ball control, just dominant defensive team potentially. I, I would love Cleveland uh, a lot. If, if, and think about it too, Stephon Gilmore would be your second best corner in that regard. Oh, without question. And that's all you'd need him to be is to play his part in the system. So, But the other part of this equation is Bill Belichick and – NFL GM should know by now, and this might not apply to Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll does Pete Carroll things in Pete Carroll's way, but if Bill Belichick is on the other end of the phone, if you hear Bill Belichick on the other end of the phone, you should be running the other direction <laughs> because Bill Belichick, if he's calling you to trade Stephon Gilmore to you, you know that Belichick is ruthless about getting rid of a guy a year early versus a year late. Do you want to end up with Nate Solder coming to your team. No, you, you don't want to end up with that. You should not be excited if you're fielding that call from New England. Yeah, it's only, and Belichick has a long track, track history of doing it. For a while, Danny Ainge, like any time Danny Ainge made a trade, like he was on the better end of it, no matter what. Like it, it just, Somehow, magically, he would just bamboozle teams into actually trading for guys that were on the tail end of your, their, their playing careers in terms of injury, whatever it was. Uh, so you're right, there is that history, but, you know, We'll see. It has to be the right situation, too, for him to be insanely impactful. But he does want a new contract, and it seems like the writing's on the wall that this is going to happen. But Gilmore, of course, starting his holdout with the Patriots. Now, Ramsey wants him to go to L.A., and this transitions us to Los Angeles because we have a pretty big game tonight in L.A. Clippers, can they even the series here against the Utah Jazz? Now, take this to the grain of salt. The people who uh, listen to Cofield and Company regularly will know this. Uh, this was my pick to make it out of the Western Conference. Still feel perfectly confident in that prediction that they're going to be able to do it. Still very much alive in this series. What have you made of this series up to this point and what you've thought about the Clippers? Because I, I have a somewhat strong take about this, but I want to hear what uh, you have seen through the first three games. Well, I know a little bit of where you're going to be coming from from this because we've talked about it after game one. But, uh, I mean, overall, there is not a significant gap between these two teams. Uh, and, you know, a healthy Mike Conley goes a long way to, you know, establishing Utah as the better side between these two, but not to the point where you say, you know, any of these games really should be lined outside of five points or so because these two teams, while they don't get it done exactly the same way, are both very solid. So, no, I don't think they're, uh, the Clippers are out of it at all. I think, you know, as we talked about yesterday, uh, the the whole game three team coming home, you know, going to win a game, applied very well to the Clippers, and it was a great spot for them. 
So there's a couple of things that have stuck out to me through the three games here. And tell me if maybe I'm reading this incorrectly, too much into it, whatever it is. The Jazz, Adam, have shot 42%. They're taking 44.3 three-point attempts per game. So 42% on 44 three-point attempts per game. They've been shooting lights out. They've been incredible, just like they were in the regular season. Donovan Mitchell's averaging 37 points per game. He's shooting over 50% from the floor. Jordan Clarkson, which this is, as a guy who not only picked the Clippers to make it out of the Western Conference, who is a Clippers fan, Jordan Clarkson, who shot 32% in the second half and 28% from three against Memphis, is shooting 52 freaking percent from three through the first three games of this series. Joe Ingles is shooting 44%. Not a surprise. Ingles is awesome. And yet, with all of those dominant offensive numbers, Adam, they have a negative 4.2 net rating in three games in non-garbage time minutes. Like, I, I, I have thought for a long time, not like, you know, it's, it's funny, like the joke, like Clippers got them right where they want them after two games. But I, I got a lot of guff for it because after game one, yes, the Jazz shot very poorly in the first half. That rounded around a big way in the second half, and they killed them in the second half, only won by three points. In the second game, they made, was it 10 more three-point attempts than the Los Angeles Clippers in the second game? Clippers still won on a 29 to 26 to 9 run to come back into that game, have a chance to win. It took a lead in the fourth quarter. I have thought through these first three games that if the Clippers would just figure things out with their rotation, they're in a really good spot here because I think there is a slight gap between them, and I do think the Clippers are the better team. And I think you saw it. When the Clippers finally started clicking on all cylinders, it resulted in a blowout in game three as opposed to just barely getting by. And I don't think there's like that big of a gap. But I'm just saying that if everything is working right for the Clippers, you see how good this team is. And I think they're in not the driver's seat, but they're in a perfectly good position to still win this thing. What you said, though, is, is a not insignificant piece of the equation in terms of evaluating the Clippers, and that's trying to figure out what Ty Lue might do right. at any damn moment in the series, right? right? I mean, that, that's not a small thing here when you talk about trying to establish the difference between the Clippers and the Jazz. And the other thing that I would say is to point out game one, you mentioned – you know, the Jazz coming out in the second half in game one. Well, it, the net rating is what it is because the defense vied into the ball for, for the Jazz, and they played a stellar defensive half in the second half of game one. And so that's ultimately where you got the big gap out of them. I just don't know that they can do that for seven games. Yep. And the small ball thing, you, you mentioned it. Do we trust Ty Lue? He kind of figured it out in game three. We'll see if he does going forward. But the other big part of this is Paul George. Paul George in game three finally kind of breaks out of this thing, right? 31 points, three rebounds, five assists, 12-24 from the floor, 6-10 from three-point range, and was confident, right? Like you saw it oozing off him. There was one point where he gets the ball, takes a quick screen. He's got like two inches of space. He just pulls up, and he sits there, and he holds it through, and he, and he just nails it, right? And it was like, you know, it was one of those threes where the back-breaking three, call the timeout, let's go. And we had a lot of silence on social media because Paul George actually had a good game. Steve and I talked a little bit about this on Friday night or Thursday night when I filled in on the late night pod. Why do we hate Paul George so much? Like the collective we. Like I, I find the dislike for George so weird because and almost distasteful to a certain extent because I think we forget, and maybe here in Las Vegas we have a better feel on this because it happened in our town, but do we remember what happened to him here? You know what I mean? In our city when he broke his leg in a gruesome, gruesome injury and fought his way back from that. And I've just always thought there was just some weird, icky film around the way that we handle Paul George, who has been open about the mental health aspect of things, who was open about the fact that he wasn't in a good place when he's playing in Orlando last year in the bubble. I don't know, man. Like, I was really happy to see him finally break out of it. And out of everything, in terms of my prediction, in terms of my fandom for the Clippers, I've just kind of always really hoped that he can continue this 
because I'm kind of tired to a certain extent of the way that social media has treated Paul George. If I came back at you and said that people are not going to let it go with Paul George because of the way he left Oklahoma City, and they felt like, okay, you know, you were here and you had the opportunity to build something in Oklahoma City, and whether this is 100% true or not, they're going to say, you forced your way out, you wrecked that franchise to go be part of a super team. I don't really feel that way, but I think that opinion is pretty strong out there. I think that's why some people don't like Paul George. Yep. Well, we're going to get to the, we're going to stick with the theme of stars on the other side. We're talking a little bit about Luka Doncic because the rumblings are already starting over in Dallas. I think this is a pretty fascinating story, and there's a loose sports gambling tie to it too. And I know you and I are going to discuss this as well when it comes to Doncic and the unhappiness. But very quickly, uh, we are out on the road today. Uh, we are at Victory's Bar and Grill for Vegas, uh, v- Vegas Golden Knights game one of their series against Montreal. Get a giveaway for you. Collar number 11, 364 Collar number 11. You're going to get a VGK hat, two-foot sub from Porta Subs, and you're going to qualify to win two tickets to see VGK versus Montreal in the semifinal for Game 2 on Wednesday night. We're going to announce that winner on Wednesday. Again, 702-364-1100, Collar number 11. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. This is just a game. There's going to be way harder things in life than striking out the side or not walking somebody. So I don't really get too caught up in all the jibber-jabber and all the mean things people might say to me. You know, I think I'm a cool guy. My dogs think I'm awesome. My teammates like me, and my friends like me, so I'm going to attack and go in. (laughs) Simple. You're listening to Cofield & Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's pretty presumptuous to say that your dog likes you, no? Do you really really know that? Do you honestly know if your dog – do you have a dog? I do. Do you honestly know if your dog likes you, or does your dog just know that you're keeping it alive? Isn't that in some way liking me? He, he likes the fact that I keep him alive. I'm not uh-huh. saying does he, you know, does he tell his friends like when he goes to the dog park, like, oh, my owner, better than the crap you got over there. We, I was walking with my son the other day. I got a great life lesson for my son the other day. We were walking, and a man with a dog walked by us, and the dog came up and like you know sniffed my son, and my son got to pet it, and my son goes, Dad, it's my friend, and I go, Son, it's very presumptuous. You have no idea if that dog likes you. You just met him. And the, the guy actually goes, it's true. <laughs> like he, he actually corroborated. <laughs> he actually agreed with me. <laughs> very good. Good life lesson. Uh, I don't know who that was. I don't know where that was from. So, very solid. Sets the table. Sets the table for this. That man sounded much happier than the vibes around the Dallas Mavericks franchise. So, after Luka Doncic and the Mavericks, of course, get sent home by my Clippers, by the way, the rumblings begin. Kristaps Porzingis last week. <laughs> By the way, I love when bad players are unhappy with the situation. You think? I think a lot of people are probably unhappy with the situation. Uh, Porzingis comes out and says, eh, you know what, Dallas might not be for me. I'm kind of unhappy. You're a seven foot two guard right now. Like, yeah, I think a lot of people are not thrilled with the whole situation at this point right now. But then you get the rumblings that, oh, no. Not now. Not next year even, Adam. But maybe the roots, the seeds are there for unhappiness for Luka Doncic further down the road. And this is all centered around a piece from The Athletic. But it's funny because when you click on the report, right, because you read the actual tweet and the headline, 
There's concern internally about Luka Doncic's desire to remain in Dallas long-term. While Doncic intends to sign the Supermax extension next summer, front office dysfunction has created a rift within the Mavs. So that obviously gets you to click on the story because the headline I'm about to tell you, which is former professional sports gamblers tearing apart the front office of the Dallas Mavericks, is not as sexy as a headline as Luka Doncic might be unhappy. What would you make of this story? Man, the Dallas Mavericks front office is just a strange place to be. That's what I made out of this story. I mean, look, we're talking about famous gambler uh, Harlebob, who has been hired on by Cuban in the last few years to work on, theoretically, uh, a, an analytically driven approach uh, to roster building, which has, according to the article, gone much farther than that, uh, to the point where he is scripting out rotations for Rick Carlisle uh, and uh, usage patterns that are dictated from the front office. Very interesting. But... It was something that was like, okay, Luca is going to sign it. You're going to get the Supermax extension. But then it talks about how Luca doesn't like Harlebot, right? How he told him to uh, shut the F up at one point, right? It was, by the way, it was during a game in February in which Harlebot allegedly told him to calm down, to which he turned around and told him, shut the bleep up, don't tell me to calm down, which is great, which is, <laughs> which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 absolutely awesome, and and now you look at the situation, and you say, okay, how does this story get out there in the first place? In which we're saying the rift that has been created is by this former professional gambler, analytics guy, who according to the article doesn't know how to talk to anybody, but has Mark Cuban's ear, and according to the anonymous sources, if you have Mark Cuban's ear, you are the second most powerful person in the Dallas Mavericks organization. Well, no. I mean, you're always going to be the third most po powerful person Correct. in the Mavericks organization because one is Mark Cuban and two is Luka Doncic. Uh, Luka Doncic now is a part owner of the Dallas Mavericks, at least in spirit, because they could not do a single thing to get rid of that guy without destroying the franchise. So what I got out of it was that someone in Luka's camp wants that Supermax extension and also wants Harlebob the hell out of there. Yeah, uh, I would say so. And, you know, tying it into Luka is pretty interesting in terms of the camp. I, I thought it was either Luka or it's somebody in that front office. But but for Mark Cuban, who today came out and said this is BS, despite the fact, as you pointed out when you and I were talking about this off the air, he was quoted in the story and could have totally refuted it and included it in the quote in which he was asked about. But in terms of this being BS, I say mm, BS to your BS. I will one-up you with that. Uh, because, to your point, this clearly came from somewhere within this organization. Whether it is Doncic's people, whether it is a disgruntled member member of the front office, whatever it is, and it goes pretty far. Like it goes to the point where we're talking about like Harlebob allegedly like went and got to draft the two guys in this most recent draft without even talking to the people that were in the Zoom chat for the draft that year. Like this is a pretty big thing. And I will say this, and and th maybe this is unfair. You tell me. But the Dallas Mavericks had rampant sexual harassment throughout their front office to the point where it was unchecked, and Mark Cuban had. No idea about it. So why would I ever believe that Mark Cuban has any idea what's going on in terms of the relationship with Harlow Bob and if people like him or not? You talked about what if we reframed the headline of the story away from Luka Doncic. Right. What if I reframed the headline and said, former tech bro hires professional gambler to run dysfunctional front office. Right. Right? Like, that's essentially what we're talking about here with Mark Cuban, who has taken on quite a life of himself. But in the end... If we boil all of this down, this is about Luka Doncic will sign Supermax extension. That's it. And, and beyond that, that's all you can ask for the Dallas Mavericks. Because otherwise, what is 
option number two. It's the same thing that so many franchises have gone through with their stars in the last few years. I want out of here, and I force my way out of here. And if Luca ultimately wants to force his way out, guess what? There's nothing Mark Cuban can do about it, yep. because that is the reality of the NBA in 2021, is that if your superstar does not want to play there anymore, it doesn't matter if the contract is up or if they signed it 10 minutes ago, they're the hell out of there. So Luca is going to sign it. Great. Good for you, Dallas Mavericks. But you better listen to the undercurrent of what's going on here, whether Mark Cuban believes it or not, whether it's total BS or not, because to me, this still looks like it's coming from Luca's side. Speaking of this, did you see this report uh, yesterday that in the offseason where there was the uh, there was the mystery of whether or not Giannis would sign his extension and all those sort of things, that NBA execs were actually worried that Giannis would actually go and team up with Luca in Dallas? That would have been fun. That I would have been thinking about these things. That, that would have been insanely fun. Yeah. Like, I will say, like, I like Dallas as a franchise. And can I also put, look, like, I believe a good chunk of this story. Every story like this is not really perfect, right? But it's funny how you always get these after the seasons, right? We got the big Los Angeles Clippers expose after they got eliminated um, from Orlando in the bubble. Do we believe veterans storied NBA champion head coach Rick Carlisle? Like, yeah, Harlow Bob, you tell me what to do in terms of my rotation. I'll go ahead and throw it out there, baby. I don't know if I buy that. Well, what was interesting in the story was that they kind of laid it out exactly as you said and then said Rick Carlisle eventually made the decision to say, you know what, I'm not fighting this one. Yeah, I'm just yeah, not. Like, I am not going to deal with this. I am going to throw Luke out there, and if you want to turn this into a pick-and-roll team where it is Luca, two guys that stand at the elbows and two guys that stand in the corner, cool. Like, that's what you want to do? Cool. Because Rick Carlisle, according to this, thought about fighting it and then decided – no, if this is the way Luka wants things, and we've obviously heard the rumors about Rick Carlisle and Luka Doncic not getting along, like, if Rick Carlisle is making a decision here, I would be siding with Luka Doncic. Yes. I wouldn't really give a damn about Harlebob, right? Like, if Harlebob told me to do something, I'm just going to kind of throw my hands up and be like, yep, whatever. But if what he wants to do pisses off Luka, now i got a problem. Uh, by the way, the last point on this is that uh, Harlebob uh, allegedly, according to this piece, again, from The Athletic, it, it's a good read, too, by the way. It's, it's totally worth checking out. Tim Cato, Sam Amick uh, wrote on it. Uh, inside the front office for the Mavericks, Mark Cuban's shadow GM. Uh, but it's pointed out in the story that Harlebob has his fingerprints and has say in almost uh, every transaction that has been made over the last, what, season and a half to two seasons. Uh, good job getting rid of Seth Curry and getting Josh Richardson. Totally helped us out in the postseason, bro. Didn't need Seth Curry whatsoever. A congratulations to Esteban, who was our winner, of course. We're giving away uh, qualifiers, right? Well, you still get the cool stuff, right? You get the Porta subs and you get the hat, but you're qualified to win two tickets. You're going to give them away on Wednesday to the VGK game with the Montreal Canadiens game two. So stick around because guess what? Maybe tomorrow we're going to give away another qualifier. Who knows? You want to listen to ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM to find out. On the other side, uh, we, we stick with controversy. We stick with controversy. It seems like maybe Harlebob's head might roll. Who knows? You might have the ear of Mark Cuban. One head has rolled, though, in the controversy around the doctored ball in baseball, and it's not a guy that you know about. Visit LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. You're listening to Cofield and Company. On ESPN Las Vegas. John Von Tobel, Adam Candy here with you. I am out on the road. Happy hour at Victories at Sports Bar and Grill starting up here in 26 minutes. 
Dollar hot dogs, $3 imported beers, $4 wine and cocktails. Starts at 4 o'clock. I'm going to be here till 4.30. Ari coming around town as well. He'll be here through the first period for the Vegas Golden Knights game about 8 o'clock or so. Have a lot of fun. Come down, get some T-shirts, get some gear, and hang out with Ari because, you know, you want to, of course. So I teased this in the break where nobody could hear it. The greatest humble brag I have ever, ever seen in my life, Adam Candy. Tell me what you think about this. So I had the honor the other day uh, of appearing for the first time on Doug Kazarian's Behind the Bets podcast on ESPN. Um, and so he tweets it out on social media, as you do with your podcast. And uh, David Behrman, who works for ESPN Chalk, one of their he- editor or something. I'm sorry, David. Now, you, you don't live in the States, so you're probably not listening to this. But regardless, I apologize about your a title that I'm butchering. He responds to the tweet and says, can't wait to listen while I'm riding on the mower. To which I responded, how great of a humble brag that is. Not only are you subtly telling us that you have a ride-on lawnmower, but you're also telling us in one fell blow that I also have a lawn big enough to own a rideable lawnmower to use it on. It's a really good humble brag in my mind. You know, when you can do it in that few words, it really says something, right? <laughs> and it's not even forced. It's not but, even like that. It, it just fit naturally into the conversation. Like that is a natural time in which a person might choose to listen to a podcast, right? Doing some yard work. It it just so happens that you're riding a multi thousand dollar machine on what is likely a many six figure lawn, yep. right? Uh, that just comes part and parcel to it. It's really good. I need to get up on my uh, lawn game. I live in an apartment, so it's going to take a while. Uh, yeah. Also on my uh, humble brag game, which is going to be uh, quite a while. All right. So I tease this going out. It is usually like this, right? Ari knows all about this. The little guy. It's always the one that stepped on, right? We're the stepping stones to greatness for a lot of people. Nobody cares about us. And when the axe has to fall, it falls upon the neck of the weak and trodden upon had to finish that really quickly. That sounded good, right? That was good. It was dramatic. Bubba Harkins. Does that name sound familiar to you? I, I, I don't think I know Bubba, but do you know Bubba? Oh, yeah, man. Way to stick with the bit. Bubba Harkins. <laughs> Bubba Harkins. A former employee of the Anaheim Angels, as, uh, as noted in this piece over at SI, an affable Angel Stadium fixture known as Bubba, was fired by the team. In the offseason of, what is it, was it the, his 31st season of the Angels? Wow, 2020, last year. Why? Well, because Bubba had been notified that he was, we'll say, assisting in allowing other teams and players and pitchers to doctor baseballs. Declaring that team employees, says uh, Billy Epler, the GM at the time, handed him a copy of a league memo issued less than a week earlier at the time saying that uh, team employees were, quote, strictly prohibited from providing, applying, creating, concealing, or otherwise facilitating the use of foreign substances by players on the field. Then Epler informed Harkins that an MLB investigation had concluded he had violated the rules and he was fired. Bubba responds, tells him, Billy, you're firing me over something that's all over your clubhouse right now. There was no response. He walked out. And, of course, Bubba had to deal with the lawyers and is not in baseball anymore. So this is what we usually see all the time, right? The little guy takes the fall for something much larger than, than him. And there's a long story about Bubba and the fact that he has actually done this for a while, but it's been part of a bigger problem in Major League Baseball. This has been such a fascinating story for a while now with these doctored balls. 
and what's going on and tracking the spin rate almost every day for all of these pitchers now and how it's dipping and waning and all of these things and batting averages, you know, relatively high over the weekend, higher scoring. But I do wonder if this gets bigger than just poor old Bubba getting fired because it's at the point where baseball, you know, it's baseball's fault where it's gotten to this point, right, where it's out of control and you have no idea what's going to happen. But there is one name that has suffered because of all of this. You would think there are more to come, but usually this is what happens, right? The big guys get away with it. The little guys suffer. The most amazing part of this story to me is how deep it goes back, right? I mean, you, you are an Angels fan, and so when I say the name Troy Percival, you'll right. know just how far into the past I'm digging here. But talk about Bubba Harkins talking to Troy Percival. Troy Percival wants a can of soda from the clubby, and then he goes to the bathroom, he gets a utility knife, rosin, liquid pine tar, moda stick, saws off the lid of the can, combines the ingredients, holds a lighter under the bottom of the can. <laughs> it's like he's cooking it out so good. And he's basically cooking up baseball drugs. Like, that's back in the mid-90s he was doing this. So how is it that here we are 25-plus years later as baseball – 80 to 90% of the pitchers, according to the Sports Illustrated article from a couple of weeks ago, they got this whole thing started, are using some form of sticky substance. And it's the visiting clubby for the Angels yep. who's the one who's had his head roll. It's ridiculous. And, and this is the best part about all of this is that there are allegedly text messages provided here by Bubba in this whole thing. It has such a deflategate nature to it because the, the text messages, if these are true, these text messages are so comically over the top that you would not believe that they're actually something. One, uh, two text messages from allegedly somebody that might be Garrett Cole. Hey, I was wondering if you could help, if you could help me out with this sticky situation. Winking emoji. No. The stuff I had last year seizes up when it gets cold. Can you come up with or do you have a mix that will play better in cold weather? From allegedly Adam Wainwright in 2019. Bubba, it's Adam Wainwright. Can I give you a call? Assuming a call is made because another follow-up text message. Thanks. Very thick stuff. And then another from Adam Wainwright in June of 2019. Hey, Bubba, a couple guys asking about some secret stuff. Anyway, you can send a couple of batches with the Angels when they come. <laughs> so <laughs> facilitating for the team, which is also incredible. But think about how deep that goes. Adam Wainwright and Garrett Cole. Okay, but there is a, uh, quickly, there is a reasonable explanation for this. I think that Adam Wainwright and Garrett Cole are trying to become pitmasters. The sticky situation, the thick mixture. These guys are looking for the absolute best barbecue sauce that they can find to turn out quality, quality ribs. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Two years since you initially injured your calf. I know you worked your butt off to get to this point, but did you ever think you'd be this good? Is that a real question? Yeah. What, what you want me to say to that? Of course well, I, I mean, did. It's pretty impressive what you've been able to do. Thank you. I appreciate that. But, I mean, that was two years ago. I'm looking forward to just getting up tomorrow and going to practice, watching film, and, and, uh, and seeing how we can get better. But, you know, I appreciate that. But, you know, that was, that was too long ago. All right. Well, I'll come up with some more real questions <laughs> for you next time. Thanks, <laughs> Kevin. Love. It's Cofield and Company on the road. Yeah, Victory Sports Bar and Grill, that's where we're at on the road. Dollar hot dogs, dollar domestic beer, $2 domestic beer, $3 port of beers, $4 wine and cocktails. That starts at 4 o'clock happy hour. Uh, you heard there that, of course, Kevin Durant 
being asked questions by Jared Greenberg. Does a great job covering the NBA. Kevin Durant being his usual self, but not as prickly. That was, uh, I think, all in good fun. Uh, let's keep the vibes going in the NBA. Kurt Heelan is with us, lead NBA writer, managing editor as well at NBCSports.com. Kurt, it's really good to talk to you, and I, there's a lot to get to playoff basketball. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts, though, on a story that came out today around the Dallas Mavericks. Harlebaugh Vulgaris, of course. It seems like the shadow GM, as it was put in the report from The Athletic. But I just kind of wanted to ask you kind of like a, a journalistic writing question because Mark Cuban comes out today, says that it's total BS. But, like, there's something there, right? Maybe the report is not 100% true, but when you're talking about this being reported from two different writers that work at The Athletic, there is some unhappiness somewhere in that front office with Harlebaugh Vergaris' report because that entire report is not being made up on a whim. No, it is absolutely not, especially the two guys who did the, you know, I've known right. Sam Amick forever. Uh, like, this is not, of course Mark Cuban came out and said there's nothing there, and I don't, there's nothing there in the, in the meaningful sense in the short term. Um, as he said when his che- in his exit interview, Luka Doncic is going to take the $200 million. <laughs> He's not yep. turning down the contract extension, the max contract extension that comes his way this summer. Is this a longer-term issue that's festering? See, that's the kind of thing that it becomes a big headline, but within Dallas they're probably like, hey, no organization's happy, you know, whatever, we're fine. Um, we'll we'll see. I I don't. There's smoke there, but there's smoke a lot of places. I mean, there's without getting way down sources. I don't want to talk about. There's smoke around how around um, uh, Zion Williamson not being happy. There's smoke around a lot of guys. That doesn't mean anything's going to happen immediately. When we talk about things not happening immediately and whether there's smoke, we were having part of this discussion earlier. If you're an NBA franchise in 2021, you just have to work as hard as you can to keep that superstar happy until he's yeah. not, because inevitably there's going to be a, a section of these superstars who decide they want to be somewhere else, who decide that you know they have a chance to put something better together somewhere else, and there's really not much that franchise can do once the situation gets to that point, right? Exactly. Once you get – if you draft a, young, a superstar – You've got them for seven or eight years, probably. Because if it's a true young superstar like Luca or Zion or the most recent example, Anthony Davis, they're going to be there through the three, first three years of their rookie contract, well, four technically. But at the end of the third year, you're going to offer them a max extension. They're, nobody, nobody has turned down max money yet because, look, Luca wasn't hurting for cash. But, but he's about to go from rich to generational money. My grandkids don't really have to worry about working. Like, you don't say no to that contract. But you get three years into that five-year contract, and he's not happy, and you end up, you end up with Anthony Davis pushing his way out, and, and New Orleans having no leverage to really to stop him. They had to get something back. Um, obviously, they did pretty well in that deal, but like eventually that player can get out. And you don't always get someone as oil as Damian Lillard, but even his, he's 30 years old now, and his loyalties, I don't want to say starting to wane, but it might be starting to wane. He's 30, and he's thinking, man, i got to win, and this isn't good enough. Kurt Heelan with us. All right, so let's talk about the actual games themselves here as we have uh, a very big Game 3 coming up later tonight between Utah and Los Angeles. So, Kurt, am I wrong? You know, I was talking about this with my co-host Adam here. <clears throat> 
like I have a weird confidence in Los Angeles that what they and I don't even know if they've discovered it, but their small ball lineup, what they've been able to do, what they've been able to withstand through these first three games, coming out of these first three with the non garbage time minutes, a plus net rating, withstanding all of the offense from Donovan Mitchell. I know they're down two one, but I kind of like in a weird place where the Clippers are in this series. What have you made of these first three games up to this point? Yeah, I'm so done predicting the Clippers. <laughs> <laughs> they are so inconsistent. I think you're spot on in this sense. To me, well, I guess right now, considering Brooklyn's health, to me, they are, when everything's clicking, the best team remaining. This is a team that has two stars who can generate their own shot, um, hit threes. They've got good veteran presence. They can, you know, They're playing small right now, but if they need to, they can go big. They've got versatility. They've got toughness. On paper, this is a really good team, and when they put it together for a stretch of games, like or, or like they did at the end of the last series or in Game Three, they're really good. But man, they don't bring it every night. <laughs> just, their backs have to be against the wall. They have to feel a little frightened. I guess I, I don't know what it is with this team. I expect you're going to get a good team bet or good thing out of them tonight. But like, I would be afraid to bet the you know I'm not betting the mortgage on them. Like I don't know what team's going to show up game night. You know. I, I, um, I still think they might be the best team and come out of the West, or they could be done in this series. I don't know what to make of them. It's just not consistent. You've changed coaches. You've changed part of the supporting cast. I mean, you've changed stars yeah. in, in some ways. Uh, and what do you think it is? Like, what, what do you think it comes down to with, with this Clippers team and the fact that you know we've been saying the same thing about them since the bubble? It's clearly Steve Ballmer. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, no. Exactly. <laughs> no, I... I Maybe they have taken on. I've, I've heard it, some people around the league talk about they've taken on a little of Kawhi's personality, and and that does happen. Teams take on the, 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 the personality in a sense of their best player at times, or at least their locker room leader. Kawhi never gets too high, never gets too low. Just kind of, just kind of seems to be on that even keel. And even when he, you know, even when he brings it, to, like when he brings it and has an awesome game, you're like, do you enjoy that? Was he having fun? I can't. I can't really tell. Um, I, I. I think there might be a little of that with them. I think that that's just their personality. It's just. It is strange because when I say they're inconsistent, I mean you can break that down. It's not just an effort thing. Their defensive execution is up and down. I will give Ty Lue credit for this. Guy throws everything at the wall, right? I'm, I'm going to try everything till I figure out what works, and then I'm going to stick with whatever works. And he's always been that way, going back to coaching the Cavaliers. It's like, if Ty Lue finds a play in a, it's a regular season game in Orlando and t- on a Tuesday, he finds something that works, he's going to beat you over the head with it until you stop it. I think he found that in this game. He's going to run it back, and if he can get enough defense, enough execution out of his team, I, I think they're the better team. I think they have the, well, let me rephrase that. I think they have huge matchup advantages in this matchup. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know if I would trust them enough that they're going to do it. We'll see. So uh, let's talk about uh, the, the injuries in the other series. And uh, this is a very simplistic question, but h- how much how much trouble is Brooklyn in at this point right now with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant flying solo? They're selling the bridge. Yeah. Uh, they are in a lot of trouble. They're, it just uh, this is a team that has gotten by. I and mean, look, if this again in the regular season they kept winning with one guy with, with one of the big three or, or whatever, that's fine. But when you get to the final eight teams, especially in this case, when you're going up against a very good Milwaukee Bucks team, 
that has defensive options and can score a variety of ways, you've got to have, at this point in the playoffs, I don't care if you've got Kevin Durant or LeBron James or, or Stephen Curry or, or Luka Doncic or name your superstar, you're going to go up against a team with enough defensive options to make their life difficult, and what's your second option? How do you beat that? It's, it's what Atlanta's running into. Like, uh-oh, they have an answer for Trey Young. Well, now what do we do? Like, it, it, you have to have that at this point. They don't have that anymore. I mean, <laughs> I gotta, I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. It's not Blake Griffin. Right. Like, he's not the answer. Bruce Brown. So I, don't, I, think I think they're in a lot of trouble. Um, you know, and we'll see when they get those guys back. But both of those injuries looked... I mean, hamstrings Hamstrings are nasty and take time, and that ankle injury was just... I mean, the second it happened, I think we all were like, ooh, that's, that's not just a little roll. That thing went 90 degrees. In the series that you just mentioned with the Hawks and the Sixers, um, Joel Embiid has not looked too hampered uh, by no. the meniscus situation. I mean, we're getting pretty much what we expect out of Joel Embiid, and as it goes, it seems like we're probably going to get much of what we expect out of the Sixers. Is that uh, Have you seen enough to feel confident that you think he can manage this if this is what we're going to get out of him? I, I guess. I, I do feel like I hold my breath every time he's on the floor, like because it's the meniscus and it's partially torn and it could get worse. But he's... Defy, I mean, the last big man to play through this injury, uh, Jeff Stotts at, at, in street clothes, looked at something. He's like, the last big man was, to do this in the playoffs was Andrew Bynum in the 2010 NBA Finals. And if anybody remembers, Andrew Bynum was horrible <laughs> in the 2010 NBA Finals. He was not the answer in those finals. Um, Embiid has been amazing. But, yeah, you're, I'm, I guess this is what we're getting from him. But I do have this, like, like I said, I just hold my breath every time. But he is play through it and they obviously need him to because that entire the entire structure of that team is built around him being an anchor on both ends if he's not out there they're just not the same team Kurt we'll get you out of here on this who, who would the Phoenix Suns rather see in the Western Conference Finals and why I, I, I think you would like to avoid the Clippers yeah. the Clippers still have I mean, look, both of these teams create problems. Both of, DeAndre Ayton hasn't had to play in space yet. He has had matchups that work for him. Uh, that's about to change. Like, this is a, whatever's next is a tougher matchup for them. Uh, the size of the Clippers, though, I think what worries teams more about the Clippers on top of the size um, of you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is, uh, and we're, we saw it again there, Kawhi Leonard's done it, man. Kawhi Leonard has two finals MVPs. Kawhi Leonard is fully capable of being... Not many people can play at the LeBron James, Kevin Durant level, you know, Steph Curry level of basketball. He can do it for a playoffs, and he can carry a team like no, maybe nobody left outside of, well, I suppose Kevin Durant's still playing. So, But, you know, like he's capable of being that guy. And uh, with all due respect to how great Donovan Mitchell has played and how much I like Utah's ensemble, it's not the same. Like, they don't have that. Maybe I'm wrong about Donovan, but I, I, I think everybody fears Kawhi more. NBC Sports, the name's Kurt Heelan at Basketball Talk up on Twitter. Kurt, enjoy your work and always enjoy talking to you, man. Thank you. Anytime. Take care. Yep, you got it. All right, we'll take our break here. Uh, a re- Actually, I don't even shouldn't say a reminder. I've been a very poor radio host. I should let you all know, Cofield and company off early today. Ari is going to be out here uh, for the hockey game. But here on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. What, Ari? Why are you making a finger at me? I wasn't. I was raising my fist like, let's go. No, oh, you're killing me. Uh, I always ruin my vibe. Uh, anyway. Postseason game in the NBA is going to be here on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. And you know, of course, our sister station, 
Fox Sports 98.9, 1340. We'll have all of your coverage for the Vegas Golden Knights. The phone lines are open, and we want to hear from you. Call 702-364-1100 and tell us what's on your mind. It's time for Cofield and Company with John Von Tobel and Adam Candy on ESPN Las Vegas. Final hour of Cofield and Company. Yes, you heard that correctly. We are off the air early today. A lot of, a lot of moving parts. Ari's going to be down here at the cannery in just an hour or so as he's going to be here to watch the first game of the Vegas Golden Knights series with the Montreal Canadiens. And we also have playoff basketball here on ESPN 1100.9 FM. Kind of stumbled through that, but you get it. NBA Hoops going to start right after we get off the air here at 4.30 for all of your hockey coverage. Fox Sports 1340, Fox Sports 1340 and 98.9. That is where you want to go for every single second of your coverage for the Vegas Golden Knights. I'm talking like this on purpose because Ari's freaking out trying to know. He's like, when do I go? When do I fire? For the Vegas Golden Knights, game one against the Montreal Canadiens. Let's go. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Four, number five. Hmm. This sounds familiar. I made this production. Adam Candy. There's a lot going on in the basketball world, man. There's a lot. We've barely touched on the fact that the Phoenix Suns sent the Denver Nuggets packing, baby, in four games. I had that wrong. I thought the Suns were going to win in six. Nuggets had nothing in that series against Phoenix. But then we saw... A dramatic game. Nikola Jokic was pretty pissed off. First time in a while we've seen an MVP get swept in the postseason. But in this game, late, Nikola Jokic gets ejected with a flagrant foul, too. Takes a wild wild swing, as the media puts it, at Phoenix Suns guard Cameron Payne. Says Jokic of the foul quote, I wanted to change the rhythm of the game. I wanted to give us some energy. Maybe change the whistle a little bit. So I wanted to take a hard foul. Did I hit him? Did I not hit him? We don't know. So I say sorry if I did because I did not want to injure him or hit him in the head on purpose. I like that. I like a lot of things about this. One, I always love when a coach gets ejected or like a player like this and like the response is, he just wanted to fire up his team by making them worse. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> like how does this help? But you were in the camp of, no, no, no. This is ejectable. Adam, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you were soft as Charmin, bro. Oh, no, sir. <laughs> Unless that Charmin is black and white striped, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I forgot. You're a ref. I forgot. You got the referee blood. And so I watched that play. Now, mind you, I had read about this play before I ever saw it. And so I thought to myself, man, what, You don't watch bad. every sporting I- event ever? Sir. Live? Listen, man. Just because you work at Cold Stone doesn't mean you eat ice cream at her meal. So <laughs> I saw the play, and my first reaction was, There's so many fat people working Damn it, this Stone. sucks. Oh, yeah. Be, <laughs> but happy fat people. Sorry. I keep interrupting. Happy fat people. No, I got, you know, can manage two trains of thought. So uh, the crazy part about it to me was I watched it, and I thought, this sucks because the officials were in a no-win situation because – that play right there, the, the swing he takes, if you don't kick someone out of the game for that, what are you going to kick them out of the game for? If you let him stay in, and the players in that game, at that moment, knowing that you have a team that's about done for the year, and the suspension doesn't really hurt them. I don't care if I lose the first four games the next year. I care if I lose a playoff game. So if I'm an official, and I know that 
whiny baby Michael Porter Jr. is on this side of the court, that if Michael Porter Jr. thinks that play is okay, if I don't kick Jokic out for that, if I see Devin Booker, of all people, by the way, Devin Booker, chesting up Nikola Jokic, then I have to realize there's nothing else that I can call a flagrant foul that rises to the level of that that I let go. You have to call that in that moment. Michael Malone was not very happy about it. Says Michael Malone, quote, I just didn't feel like it warranted a flagrant two ejection because he's making a play on the ball. There's marginal contact to Cameron Payne's nose, I believe. So I was shocked. I'm still a little bit shocked that they called a flagrant two. This is my favorite line. And ejected the MVP on such a play. Michael Malone, of course, alluding to the fact that if it was not the MVP, then it's okay to eject him. But because he got a trophy, which is meaningless in the grand scheme of life, bro, we're all just dust in the wind, that he shouldn't be ejected. I love how now, now we're talking about Nikola Jokic as MVP respect level, right? right? It was always like, oh, they don't treat him like the MVP. And now Michael Malone's like, oh, well... And well, what about when he does foul? What about when he does go up and swipe somebody in the head? I know, man. I, I, I hated it. I, I hated it because it was the right call, but I hated it because if you're Nikola Jokic and you've done everything you can to mule this team on your back for the last three weeks just to get to this point, that is a terrible way to go out. Yep. That is just awful for a guy who in the previous game put up 32, 20, and 10 to have to leave on that term. But you know what? In the end, he was just going to be sticking around to watch maybe a closer loss in that game. Like, the the Nuggets weren't winning that game. I mean, but but the part is, like, to my point when we were talking about this, like, I never under – I feel like they, like being players and coaches when they get ejected, use that garbage excuse of, oh, try to fire my team up after the result, right, of of being ejected. You You know how you fired your team up? Like, staying on the court. And helping that there was four minutes left in the third quarter. You were down by eight. Like that's a winnable game. You can keep your season alive. And yes, climbing out of a three nothing series hole is a problem. But you're at home. It's a winnable game. Like I, I don't see how that benefits you if you're taking a swipe like that and putting yourself in jeopardy as the MVP to keep Michael Malone's train of thought going, right? To then warrant an ejection like that. I just, I never understood that train of thought. Never. Well, if you want to talk about a guy who is firing a team up to play better, then maybe you want Nikola Jokic from the second half of Game 5, the double overtime game against the Blazers. Right. That's the Nikola Jokic who's firing his team up and tanking, tanking my prop on points, rebounds, assists, which was looking great at halftime. He came out there and put up a combined 38 in the second half on all that. That's how you fire your team up. Don't fire him up. by. And by the way, let's not buy that excuse either because he was pissed that he didn't get a foul call, so he went and took a hack at someone. And by the way, too, this is uh, – and you kind of alluded to it. Kind of a bummer way for this team to go out because when they were rolling, they had acquired Aaron Gordon. They were playing – they were going to be my pick to make it out of the Western Conference. Uh, absolutely. They, they Without question. The, so good. The Aaron Gordon thing seemed to be the missing piece. I mean, <laughs> it was sad to watch what happened there with Murray and then the rest of the way. Number four. And how do I know that Adam is soft like Charmin? Not because – He's on the side of the officials, of course, being an official himself, but also because he watches the Westminster Dog Show. What's going on here? Are you anti-Wasabi the Pekingese? 
first of all, you said dog show, and then you said Pekingese. So I'm not sure I was watching the dog show when this Swiffer with googly eyes was voted the best dog in the country. Like, that thing looks like a wig that came to life, and that's supposed to be the best dog that we've ever seen? Come on now. And yes, I was watching some of the Westminster Dog Show. Let me just say that in the Southwest Airlines live TV catalog, that was about as good as it was going to get the other day. It was the agility competition. It wasn't just them prancing around the ring. It was the dogs going out there and having to, like, run through the crazy tunnel and jump up over the top of these, like, two-foot bars. And then they're all, they're, like, zooming all over the place. And the dog comes off, and he's done after this amazing, like, 45-second run. He just wants to play tug-of-war. He's just, he's just every other dog. He's not superstar diva looking for treatment like, yeah, I want it. Give me my avion and my towel around my neck. I'm awesome. No, he's a dog. He just wants to play. Unlike Wasabi the Pekingese. All these great dogs out there. Wasabi the Pekingese? Hmm. I'll be soft. I'll be I'll be the softest Pekingese hater you've ever known. I don't know if I should let the bit go, or do I challenge you and go, give me the other dogs? Oh, the only dog that, that <laughs> should qualify is the one that's sitting like 20 feet from me right now. The world's most attractive Australian Shepherd. He, he, he is a red Merle. He, he looks like he looks like a caramel latte. He is everything that Wasabi wishes he could never be. Ari, do you have something? Oh, I th- see again. Oh, like, look at this. Yeah. No, Ari, Ari just wants to go on. Ari's what tired of my dog bit, Ari, and Ari, he's going on. Ari, Ari's putting God. up the three. Like this sucks. Ari. Number four sucks. Candy sucks. Candy's soft. JVT's buying into this crap. Ari, hard-ass producer, says number three. Breaking news. I've done a radio show before. I know what's happening. What do you want? Number three. Wow, look at this. Do That's we how move, I communicate. Do we move on? Do we actually let Ari dictate the tempo of this show? I think it's cute, so we should go with it. Or do I stubbornly push on with this dog Pekingese thing and force you to name at least one other dog in the field? Without looking it up. I don't need to. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> You're telling me that this is a matter of should, uh, like, oh, well, what was the competition? Well, you dr- no, beat? you dropped this statement. There dog. are so many other better what dogs. Like, give it's, me one. The, the, the thing, a non-dog can't win the Westminster Dog Show any more than the Golden Knights can win the NBA championship. It's like, not a dog. Like, give it's me, like. not a dog. Hefeweizen, the Dash Hound. A three-year-old dachshund. Like that, yeah. Like That's a that dachshund, dog. you <laughs> noob. Wait, what are the qualifiers to win the Westminster Dog Show? You have to win your group. First of all, you have to be the best Pekingese, apparently. And then you have to be, you know, the best in your little group. I'm guessing that's in the non-dog group. And then you get to, you know, they take the best of all the groups and prance them around. And from those uh, handful of dogs, they pick the best in show. Is that where they like, you know, touch them and like make them sit up and do all that kind of weird stuff, and then they run through the cones and they, uh, uh, well, the, they check the they check the teeth, uh, they check the legs, they check the uh, the doggy bits, like you know, they they make sure that it's up to the standard. Which dog is the closest to the breed standard? How in the hell are we talking about this? Which of the Cofield and Company members would pass that test? Ooh. The check the teeth, check the body, make sure everything. Like, I mean, we're we're all pretty. 
I, I have to be honest here. Wins, but. Uh, I think Ari might be the closest to like to someone who might be able to pass this inspection. I I'm basically made from sticks and duct tape. Um, and I, I don't know. Do you think you do you qualify, John? Like, would you would you be best in breed? We can get to some details here, but I feel like HIPAA laws prevent like prevent me from disclosing anything further than the fact that I don't know if I would be able to do it. Now I give it to Ari. He looks like a weird enough, clean, neat freak that would probably probably help him out. Yeah, he, like all the uh, all the weird eating things is probably oh, just yeah. like trying to keep himself. Uh, you know, like pure, like Ready pure for the, for the breed. The first Westminster human show? Well, I mean, the Pekingese could win that one before he wins the dog show. Good Lord. Number three. You don't tell me what to do, all right? I do what I want to do here. All right, headline, Broncos helping the Raiders. Von Miller shows knowledge at Pass Rush Summit. What happened here, Adam? Well, I mean, we went out to a scorching hot field at uh, Charter School, and Von Miller brought out, uh, let's be honest, some some emerging young pass rushers. Uh, wasn't quite, uh, you know, him bringing in the best of the best, but he has decided a few years back that he was going to impart all of his knowledge that instead of loyalty to the Denver Broncos, it would be loyalty to his fellow pass rushers. And apparently this is going on at other positions as well. George Kittle and Travis Kelsey putting on a tight end academy. Uh, but the idea of Max Crosby being out there for the Raiders, learning from Von Miller, who, is, as a still current player, I don't know how, how I feel about this if I'm Teddy Bridgewater. right? If I'm Teddy Bridgewater, I'm like, Von, uh, bon, you're, you're teaching him the rip, chop, pump, stop, like whatever the, the combination of things that I just put together that they talked about from that past summit are. Uh I'm trying to stay upright. I feel like those were Why made up teaching... pass rushing terms. Yeah, I just took it. Literally, I took every one of them that I read in the article oh, yeah. and just put them all together and made it one move. And, and I figure I'm like the new Ted Wynn. Like, I feel like I could throw out some me. random verbs. They could all sound like pass rushing terms. The flail, tear, yeah, chug. It, yeah, it, uh. it, it, they are either pass rushing terms or they're what they put the dog through at the Westminster show to try to win the, the like the rip stop chop hump like that's something Good. you could see the Pekingese having to do to win best in show dip dub dip duck dive dodge what, uh, but what do you think about, all right what do you think about this John what do you think about current players on uh, Von Miller is going to play against the Raiders this year and he's out here teaching Max Crosby how to be a better pass rusher I will put it like this. I am not short for confidence in my career field. I think I do what I do very well. But I also think I do what I do very well uniquely so that I could sit down and tell Ari for an hour, this is what I do to get ready for a show. There is no shot Ari could put a show on like I could. So, and that's my confidence, but that's also in this realm. Von Miller's like, yeah, teach Max Crosby how to do this. He's going to do it the way that I do it? Get out of here. Did I put that well enough? I took enough shots at Ari. And I also took a shot at the at Max Crosby, which I guess I shouldn't, because I gotta support the local team. I kind of, actually, I kind of love this in a way because you're basically saying Von Miller looks at whoever's out there among NFL pass rushers and decides that only the second-rate guys get to come to Von Miller pass rush camp. <laughs> guys who can never become as good as Von Miller right. get to come to the camp, Do right? Do you think he's going to teach these lessons to, like, a Miles Garrett? Like, no. <laughs> Miles, Garrett, Miles Garrett will be able to take these and make them better and, like, destroy the competition. I like it. Uh, he's, like, he looks at Max Crosby and decides, I'm not concerned about Max Crosby. I did, however, by the way, my favorite part of the whole thing from the Vic Taper story in The Athletic was 
They've got Von Miller, obviously, in Las Vegas talking about the Raiders. He's like, yeah, man, look at that. It's, it's great here. Look at that stadium. Uh, it's beautiful. Uh, well, they need some wins. Which, I mean, people could, people could fire back and be like, Von, what have the Broncos done lately? You have no quarterbacks in your team's kind of a nightmare the last couple of seasons. But they Von knows something we don't. Come on down, Aaron Rodgers. Ooh, look at that, huh? Yeah. Well, hey, starting man. things. I mean, I've told, I've told you. Uh, I think I've told you, Adam. I don't remember if I have. Uh, I bet on the Broncos at 66-1 to 1 to win the title like a month and a half, two months ago because I thought they were going to get Deshaun Watson. If I get Aaron Rodgers instead, I'll take that too. John, you and I share something in common <laughs> because when the Deshaun Watson rumors came out, I got them at 75-1. to 1, There it is. And I'm thinking the same way. <laughs> oh, boy. I hope so. If not, that's fine, I guess. Number two. Number two. So I'm going to ask you to be the most honest about yourself. All right? I have told very embarrassing stories about myself on this mm-hmm. very airwaves. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am not afraid mm-hmm. to show my shame. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going, to ask, I'm going to let you think on the answer while I set this up. When have you ever in your life been the most salty about something that you were wrong about? Like a case in point would be you get in a fight with the wife or the girlfriend you're completely wrong, but you're stubborn enough to still try to blame them. Because Le'Veon Bell did that with Andy Reid. Because Le'Veon Bell on an Instagram post, asked, somebody asked him in the, in the Instagram comments if he was going to come back to Kansas City, to which he responded, he would never play for Andy Reid again. It's not Andy Reid's fault that you sucked. Okay? And Le'Veon Bell has since come out and apologized for the Andy Reid comments. And as was pointed out multiple times, whether it was Pittsburgh, whether it was New York, and whether it was now Kansas City, if there's enough red flags, maybe it's your fault, bro, and not everybody else's. So I, as I sit here and as you think, when was the situation you were the most wrong but also the most stubborn to admit that you were wrong? All right. I, and I will be very honest about this. It's not going to have a lot of specifics attached to it because the sort of thing that's happened multiple times in my married days. Um, but – my ex was not exactly sports savvy, but being exposed to me and my love of sports and all of the games that I would watch and so on and so on, we would, if we were talking about something related to, say, the Yankees, and she had just watched enough games alongside me to pick up on something, and I were trying to tell her that, you know, oh, well, you know, this, you know, this guy's hurts and uh, that's why he's not playing well, and, 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 and she would kind of come back with like, well, wait a second, I thought... I thought he came back like like two weeks ago, and and I, I remember don't, didn't we watch the game? wasn't Wasn't he back? Like, if I would get called out on something like that, if I would get called out on like she somehow noticed something about sports that I, giant air quotes, Mister Sports Guy, didn't pick up on, I would dig in. I would dig in and be like, <laughs> No, he died yesterday. I can't be wrong about this. <laughs> nope, nope, no, 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 nope, nope, nope. He didn't come back. Nope, he's still hurt. Nope, nope, definitely not. So I, I will admit that. When I felt like it was getting a little too close to home, like the one thing in this world that I feel like I know a little bit about, because there is a ton out there that I know nothing about, uh, I, I would definitely dig my heels in a little bit. That's good. I like it. There have been many times where I've uh, fooled my wife into thinking she's wrong about something she's completely right about. Uh, it has a lot to do with like payments or like finding, like the other day, for example, something very small where I was getting annoyed because she kept asking me where the keys were. And I'm like, they're on the counter. And then I found them in my pocket in the dirty laundry. So when she went in the other room to look for them, I put them on the counter. It was like, they were here the whole time. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, but no, that, that, is, that is not a problem. That, that is simply maintenance. Yeah. That is the sort of thing you do in a marriage to keep everybody sane, right? 
like in the end, you you just want the keys to be found, right? Like ultimately, what we, all we need is the keys to be found. Everything else is a detail. Number one. All right, last minute here. Remember, we are off the air early. Coming up here on ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM, NBA postseason hoops. And over on our sister station, Fox Sports 1340, 98.9, you're going to find all the coverage for the Vegas Golden Knights. All right, Adam, we got game one here. What are your thoughts entering this series? Like, how confident are you? Are you Vegas market price confident in the Vegas Golden Knights to pull this series off? Where are you at? I am not Vegas market price confidence at uh, nearly five to five dollar favorites here uh, on Vegas. I think Colorado, is, or not Colorado, Montreal, is a very live dog coming off the Colorado series, where the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, think about this: they go seven games against a physical Minnesota team. They have to put everything out there to come back multiple times against Colorado. I don't know that Vegas is vulnerable in this series over the course of seven games. I think Vegas is the better team and ultimately will win. But is Vegas potentially vulnerable tonight in the first game of this series against the team that they haven't seen all year long? It's possible. Yeah, implied probability of that price that Adam's talking about, around 82% for the Vegas Golden Knights to win this thing. I know this team has a high power rating, but that's really strong. All right, hey, remember, victories, bar and grill out here at the Cannery is a spot. Ari's going to be down here in short fashion. I'm out here for a little bit as well. Adam Candy, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Remember, Fox Sports 1340 for all your VGK coverage.